Isn't that beautiful? I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, beauty is very important in the Christian life. I think beauty is also very important in worship. You know, we just gave an offering for a dire situation in the nation of Ukraine that is marked by uh, killing, bloodshed, abuse of various kinds. And during times like this, we need to hear beauty and we need to see something of beauty. And we just experienced that. Well, hopefully, something beautiful will come out of the preaching here also this morning. So I want to draw your attention. If you happen to have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, you will be able to follow on the overhead. Um, I want to begin reading John, chapter 20. It's the fourth of the four Gospels, the opening four books of the New Testament, the Gospel of John. And I would begin reading at verse uh, 19 and read through verse uh, 29. I'll give you a little bit of the context here. All four gospel writers write, they record, and they put forward the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was killed. He was crucified, put to death, buried. Three days later, according to the Bible, Jesus rose from the dead. Astounding. And then... After that, Jesus made appearances, first to women at the tomb. You know, the Bible does have a high view of women. Sometimes Christians are looked upon as like, well, you, you, uh, you don't have a high view of women. And that's not true. Uh, the very first individuals that Jesus appeared to were women. And then he appeared to disciples. The women told the disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead. And yet there was, there was one disciple, there was one follower of Jesus that... Uh, was not among the disciples to whom Jesus appeared. One individual, his name was Thomas. So what I want to do is I want to pick up on the evening of the first day of the week when Jesus rose from the dead, and he's first going to appear to the disciples, and then he's going to appear to Thomas. So follow along with me if you would. On the evening of that day, namely the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. And then he gives them this mission commission. As the Father has sent me, even so I am now sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, especially verse 24 and following. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of his nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, 
put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And we're going to end our reading at that point. There are many of us here this morning who are very familiar with Easter. We've gone to Easter services most of our lives. Uh, we are familiar with the story of Jesus' resurrection and the implications of that resurrection for our lives. But there may be some of you here this morning who are very unfamiliar with the story. Or maybe you know the story somewhat and maybe even haven't attended an Easter service now and then. But still, you're, you're not quite sure about the resurrection, about the reality of it, or about the implications of it and what it means for your life. And also for the sake of the children. Also this morning, I want to lay things out. As they oftentimes say, simply, not simplistically, but, but simply. And I want to, I want to begin by, by saying this. We, we read in this passage, a central character, other than Jesus here, of course, is a man named Thomas, most commonly known by people as Doubting Thomas. Now, maybe you've heard that term before, Doubting Thomas, but you're thinking, well, yeah, I, I don't know what it all refers to, but, well, it refers to this story, actually. Thomas, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And as I said, Jesus appeared to all the disciples, but there was one disciple that he didn't appear to, and so that left Thomas with a bit of doubt. Now, this book that I have in my hand is a book about faith, but it's also a book about doubt. I don't know if you ever thought about that. I mean, first of all, it talks about the importance of faith. I mean, you can go from the first book of the Bible to the end, from Genesis to Revelation, and it talks frequently about faith. Faith as the means to take hold of Jesus where why we believe that what he did in his death and in his resurrection, he just did not do for others, but he did for me. The Bible defines faith for us. Faith is an assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not seen. The Bible says that without faith, we can't even be pleasing to God. The Bible gives many examples of faith, from the very first book of the Bible to the last book of the Bible, and if you've been a part of this church for any time, you know in our afternoon service over the past few weeks, we have been looking at a teaching document that taught us what true faith is. There's counterfeit faith, there's superficial faith, there's people who sometimes walk with Jesus but who walk away, but then there's what we call true faith, genuine faith, authentic faith. So we've been considering that. But interestingly, in light of this story here this morning, it is also a book about doubt. Again, did you, did you know that? Let me quickly explain. I want to, I want to get to this passage. Um, Peter was a leader among the disciples. And at one point, Jesus said to Peter, why do you doubt, oh, you of little faith? I mean, it's a leader among the disciples. Even Peter doubted. Later on, Jesus said to his disciples, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Where does fear stem from? A lack of trust. Where does a lack of trust stem from? Doubt. 
There was a man in the ministry of Jesus whose son was demon-possessed. And he pleaded for Jesus to heal his son because no one else could heal him. And Jesus desired to elicit faith from this man. And the man said, I believe. I believe that you can heal my son. Help my unbelief. In other words, help me with my doubt. And then this final thing. And this is really interesting. The Bible tells us that when Jesus rose from the dead, early in the morning, some women came to the tomb and they discovered that the tomb was empty. And the angel revealed to these women that he is not here. He is risen just as he said he would rise from the dead. He's not dead, but he's living. So these women go to the disciples of Jesus and they explain to the disciples of Jesus, he's risen, he's alive. And the Bible says every one of the disciples of Jesus who had been with Jesus over a three-year period of ministry, they all doubted. We finally got this man in our passage, Thomas. Eventually, Jesus appears to all these disciples except for Thomas. The disciples come to Thomas and they say, we have seen the Lord. Thomas says, no. Unless I see him, unless I touch him, I will not believe. So let me ask you here. Now, you are here this morning. Do you ever struggle with the question, is it all true? Did Jesus actually walk on this earth? Did Jesus actually perform miracles? Was Jesus really the Son of God? Did he really rise from the dead? Kids, when your mom and dad put you to bed at night, you're tucked in and the lights are out, in those quiet moments, have you ever wondered, is God really real? Is he really real? Sometimes, and I'll just say this one final thing, Sometimes, even as a pastor, in quiet moments, I've, I've never, I've, I grew up, thankfully, in a Christian family. I never went through a period of skepticism or a doubt where I really wondered, boy, is this really true or not? But sometimes I play with this in my mind as a pastor, and I go, but what would it be like if it wasn't true? Everything that I'm doing and a true pastor is absorbed in his work. He's absorbed in your life. He prays and preaches and all of that, leads worship. But what happens is not, not true. Then everything that I'm doing right now is a waste of my time, and it's a waste of your time. But by God's grace, I've become convicted by this story, and I trust that you will too as we examine this man, Thomas. Now, I want to say something as we get into the passage. When you look at Thomas, you can see here, right, that he is an entrenched skeptic. He's not your run-of-the-mill generic skeptic that you find today, but he's a deep-seated, entrenched skeptic. Now, why do I say that? Because when Jesus appeared to the disciples who first doubted him and displayed to him by what he said, and by his hands and, the, and his, the wound in his side and showed them that I am not dead, but I am now risen. Then they, the Bible says they were glad. And then they thought to themselves, well, we need to tell the one final disciple who has not heard, and that's Thomas. So they go to Thomas. And the Bible says they said, we have seen the Lord. But actually in the original language, it reads like this. And they were saying, we have seen the Lord. Not, 
they said, but they were sane. Do you see a little bit of a subtle difference here? The difference is this. In other words, when the disciples came to Jesus, they just didn't say, or uh, when the disciples came to Thomas, they just didn't say once, hey, we have seen the Lord. Now, what do you think about that? No. What they were doing is they were repeatedly saying to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. Probably saying something to this effect. Thomas, he came to us. He appeared to us. We saw him. We heard him. And, and, and he said this, and he said that, and that over and over again. They were seeking to convince Thomas, but Thomas remained unconvinced. In fact, he said, basically, unless I myself see him, and unless I myself touch him, I will not believe. Now, if you have your Bible, and you take a look at that, actually, he doesn't say, I will not believe but he says, I will never believe. If your translation of the Bible says that, it's a good translation. Let me tell you why. I'm going to get a little technical, I guess, on this Easter service. But just, just listen to this. When, when seminarians are learning the Greek language, oftentimes in the beginning classes of the Greek language, they learn about what's called a ume construction. And what that is is basically a double negator. In other words, it, it, it deepens a negative response. There's, there's oomph to it. There's power to it. So when Thomas, after the disciples tell him that Jesus has risen repeatedly, when he says, I will not believe, he's saying, I, there's no way I'm going to believe. I will never believe. Why do I bring that out? In order to show us, once again, that Thomas is not your run-of-the-mill doubter. He's an entrenched skeptic. You know, when you, when you examine the world, and if you've ever dealt with people outside the Christian faith, they, they come different stripes, different backgrounds. And what I have found is that there are, there are different levels of skepticism. Okay? So you have, for instance, what I would call superficial or more, I would say, indifferent skepticism, indifferent skeptics. So indifferent skeptics is this, where an indifferent skeptic will say, kind of the per normal person on the street today, well, they'll say, I don't know, I, I've gone to a few Easter services in my life, and I've, I've, uh, I, I know the basic story of, yeah, you Christians say Jesus rose from the dead. Listen, I don't know if he did or not, but quite frankly, it doesn't have any bearing on my life. And he or she just goes on with their life. A lot of people like that. Then there's what I call parrot skeptics. Parrot skeptics are those who just parrot or repeat the skepticism of those around them. They have not really taken the time to read the story. They've never taken the time to explore a Christian worship service, especially on Easter. These are individuals that have not really investigated the claims of the Bible and Christians that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. So they just parrot or they just repeat the skeptic arguments, skeptical arguments of those around them. Okay, And then there's also those different kind of skeptics who we would uh, call actually uh, nervous skeptics. And a nervous skeptic is someone who's like, well, you know what, uh, I'm not sure if it's true or not, but, and then it kind of ended at that point, but they're thinking inside, if it is really true that, as the Christians say, Jesus is the Son of God, that He is God Himself, and that He indeed did rise from the dead, that that then means I'm going to have to deal with that. I'm going to have to face that myself, and it may well mean that I may well have to become a Christian. And if that's the case, I'm not so sure I want to go in that direction. 
And then finally, you have the diehard skeptics. Diehard skeptics are like Thomas. Yeah, you know what? I've read the Bible. I've gone to an Easter service. I investigated the matter. I know what it's all about. But quite frankly, you can read all that, but we just don't know if it's all made up. So here's the thing. If Jesus wants to do with me what he did with Thomas and just appear, that's all I ask him to do. I mean, he can do that, right? He's God. If he will just appear in his resurrected state so I can see him and so I can touch him, then I'll believe. That's Thomas. That's Thomas. Now, as we go on the story, Jesus is going to, t- he's going to change all that. Jesus is going to change that. So, here's the thing. On the first day of the week, on a Sunday, like today, Jesus rises from the dead. And he appears to his disciples on the evening of that day. The disciples themselves doubting. Now, understand this, that eight days transpire since Jesus appears to the disciples. Eight days. That's over a week. So, why do I bring that out? Well, not only because the passage brings it out, but Thomas has eight days to get entrenched in his skepticism. Right? So, the disciples say, we have seen the Lord. You could say, Thomas looking at his watch, okay, well, let's see if he comes to me. Day one, no. Day two. No, day three, no, day four. Goes on and on. He's just waiting. Well, if he's risen from the dead, it would be great to see him. Eight days to be entrenched in skepticism. All right, so Jesus is going to change that. So, decision day, Jesus comes to Thomas. But he just doesn't come one-on-one with Thomas. Jesus appears to his disciples. He greets them, peace be with you. Eight days later, Jesus once again appears to the disciples, but this time, Thomas is with him, with them. And Jesus says to the disciples once again, peace be with you. And then what Jesus does, he takes time to help Thomas enter in to the peace that the disciples know. He says, peace be with you, and now it's time. Thomas, see my wounds. See my wounds. And Thomas, take your finger and put it in the wound of my hand, in my hands. Take your hand, put it in my side. Stop disbelieving now. Believe. Now, kids, you think about that. And what if Jesus told you to do that? It kind of appears gross, doesn't it? Here, I mean, you want to satisfy your doubt? Take your finger, and you wonder, okay, put it in the hand of Jesus. That would be an f- odd feeling, would it? And then take your whole hand and put it in the wound of Jesus' side, and you say, what is that referring to? Well, we know that nails were driven into Jesus' hands and feet, but if you remember when Jesus was on a cross, there was a soldier who threw a spear into Jesus' side. The Bible says that blood came out as well as water. Now, when Jesus rose from the dead, you ever wonder, what did Jesus look like? And the indication, without going into all kinds of detail, is that when Jesus rose from the dead, he, he, he changed in his appearance because Christians say he was in a glorified state. 
So he changed in appearance. Remember, even Mary Magdalene, after Jesus had risen from the dead, she, she did not recognize Jesus immediately. So there's something different about him, but, but there was something the same as well. Maybe it was the eyes, maybe it was the voice, certainly it was the wounds. So in his glorified state, he retained the wounds. They're not seeping bloody wounds, but wounds nonetheless. If you are a Christian and you pass on into glory, one day you will see Jesus and you and I will see those wounds. He carries those wounds into glory. Here, Thomas, put your finger into my side or into my hands and your hand into my side and stop, stop your faithlessness, stop the doubt. Now, I want us to to kind of step back from this a moment and think about this. And I think this is rather interesting. That notice that when when Jesus interacts with Thomas here, he doesn't lecture Thomas for his doubt. Now, there's another account in the Bible, I think it's in the Gospel of Matthew, where, where Jesus appears to his disciples in the midst of their doubt, and then he reveals himself to them, and then he rebukes them. He gets on their case. Why didn't you believe? I told you I was going to rise from the dead. He doesn't do that here with Thomas. You know, you would think he would because of his entrenched skepticism. Because you get the the understanding that Thomas was more entrenched in his skepticism or his doubt than the other disciples. So you think that Jesus would, in the language of today, really rip on Thomas and say, Thomas, what is the deal? Listen, I appeared to the other disciples. I didn't appear just to one or two. I appeared to all of them, and they all came to you. Not one came to you and said, hey, you know what? We've seen the Lord. All of them came to you, and they sought to convince you, and that too repeatedly. We have seen him, we have seen him, and we have seen him, and still you don't believe? And Thomas, you were there with the rest of the disciples months and years before, remember, in our ministry together, and I told you very specifically that the Son of Man, referring to myself, must suffer and die at the hands of godless men, be buried, and then on the third day, rise from the dead. Thomas, I not only, I, this was not in veiled language that you could not understand. I was very clear and very specific about the fact of my rising from the dead and the when of my rising on the dead, on the third day. And you still didn't believe. What's the problem, Thomas? Almost like, parent lecturing a small child. Maybe something that you would see in a Walmart, right? We all experience that. But know what Jesus does. And this, is, this, is, it shows, this shows the compassion in the heart of Christ, okay? We need to remember this on this Easter day. He does not lecture Thomas, but he supplies Thomas with the evidence that he demands. Thomas, look at my wounds. Go ahead. Go ahead. And put, put that finger in, in, in my hands and that, that, that fist in my side. And you know, we don't get any indication from the text that Thomas actually did that. Maybe he was kind of scared, kids. Maybe he thought, I don't, I don't want to do that. But maybe he did. We don't know. You know, Jesus supplies... Let me put it this way. What he gave to Thomas is the same thing that Jesus gives us in terms of evidence this morning. Not exactly the same way. But in a sense, we have something more than Thomas, what Thomas was given. 
He satisfies any one of our doubts this morning. You say, how does he satisfy that doubt? He satisfies the doubt, first of all, I think, simply by the simplicity and clarity of this story. This story is not only recorded by this man named John. It's recorded by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Also John. Some of the details differ because each of the disciples are providing their own record and the perspective on what happened. But when you put it all together, you have a very complete story and a very compelling story of the resurrection of Christ. But there's more. It's not just the story that we have before us. There's also the testimony of eyewitness accounts. Jesus appeared to women. Then Jesus appeared to all his disciples. Then Jesus appeared to Thomas. Later in his resurrected and ascended state, Jesus appears to the Apostle Paul, who is in the process of persecuting the church out of existence. He hated the idea of Jesus. Because of that, his life was turned around. And then we come to that great resurrection chapter that we read earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Where, I, I don't know if you know this, some, some of you I'm sure do, some of you may not, but at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, we read about the eyewitnesses of those who saw Christ. And at one point, as it lists the women and also the disciples, it also lists over 500 people at one time that Jesus appeared to. And the Bible says that many were still alive at the time that the writers started composing the Bible, writing down what they saw and what they heard. Now, now I want you to think about that. There's just one little phrase in 1 Corinthians 15 that talks about that, but he appeared to over 500 at one time. I want you to try to imagine that. What do we got here this morning? Maybe 200? Let's just go a little high. Let's go 250. Now you double the size. Let's say Jesus came here. I, Jesus would have to stand back here, and we'd have to put more chairs around here and up front here. It would be a packed house. Now, you try to imagine that. That many people witnessed the resurrected Christ because after he rose from the dead, the Bible tells us that for 40 days, Jesus preached the kingdom of God and made resurrection appearances. He was not bashful. He said, see me. You can see me. Come, touch me. There's also the compelling evidence of what we read in the Bible as the empty tomb and the empty burial clothes. And people say, yeah, and this is, this is the argument of some Jewish individuals. They say, oh, well, we know what happened. Somebody, somebody stole the body of Jesus, took it away. Okay, but think about that. Even today, when bodies are missing, aren't those bodies usually located? Don't we find at least bones somewhere, something that could substantiate the claim that his body was stolen? Yeah, where is it? Where is that body? And finally this, and I think it's one of the most compelling of arguments. When you read the Bible, it's very interesting that after Jesus rose from the dead, remember, he commissioned his disciples to bring his message to the world. Every one of the disciples of Jesus gave their lives for Christ. They were martyred for the faith. Did you know that? At least according to church tradition. There's only one disciple, according to church tradition, did not pay the martyr's price, and that was the Apostle John, who was exiled to the island of Patmos. Let me ask you this. Why would 11 guys give their life for Christ if the resurrection of Jesus Christ was built upon a lie? Or were they just duped? And many others. 
after that. The Apostle Paul, church tradition tells us that he was, he was beheaded for the sake of the faith. Now, why would the Apostle Paul say, you know what, I'll get on my knees and you can hack off my head if it was all based on a myth? Now, some of you here may say, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm still not convinced, but I want you to think about this. Everything that I just mentioned in the last few minutes, when you put it all together, isn't that something that should at least make us pause and think, could it be actually true? Could it be true? The Bible says it is. It is. For our comfort and for our joy. So, I leave you this, getting back to doubting Thomas. Jesus invited Thomas in this passage just to leave his doubt behind. And Jesus does the same thing with us this morning. And as you are here this morning, i, I got to tell you, it's not enough when you hear this story explained. It's not enough for you to say, you know what, uh, yeah. Yeah, I understand it. I guess you explained it clearly. Or, yeah, that's interesting. Or, I suppose a, a case could be made for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not enough. It's not even enough for us this morning to say, you know what? Uh, man, I was raised in the church. I was raised in this story. I mean, how many Easter services have I been to? I've never really doubted it. Do you know why you believe? Or is it just because that's what you grew up with? Jesus is not against us investigating things and investigating this story. And his desire for us this morning is that, that as we look at the story, that we might, we might own the story, be absorbed by the story, in our heart of hearts be convicted by the story, but also to respond to the story with the same response as Thomas you remember his response? Right? Jesus displays himself to Thomas, and Thomas says, it's very short, he says, my Lord and my God. In other words, no, you're not dead, you're very much alive. And I realize now that you are who people say you are. You are the Son of God. You are Lord. You are my Master, and you're the one to whom I must give my ultimate allegiance. And I want you to notice his language carefully. He, he doesn't say, with the other disciples around him, after Jesus displays himself, he doesn't say, oh, our Lord and our God. But it's very personal language, isn't it? He says, my Lord and my God. Such is to be the response of every one of us. We can't, listen, you cannot leave this place this morning in a neutral state. You will either be further hardened by the things of God in the Christian faith or you will come to a deeper conviction that what Easter is all about is actually true. It is true. If you're here and you still doubt, then what I want you to do is I want you to, I want you to chew on the story. I want you to read it for yourself. What I want you to do is, if, if, if you want to listen to the sermon again, it's on our website. And then I want you to think about what Jesus said to Thomas. He said, Thomas, okay, you believe now because you've seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet, and yet believe.
And then John ends this chapter with these words, and then we're going to pray. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the beautiful message of Easter. A beautiful message of good news for Christians who have been following you for many years. Indeed, as we go back many centuries. And we thank you for that. But also good news for skeptics like the disciples initially, and like Thomas initially. Father, whatever our background, whatever our personality, whatever we are dealing with in life, oh God, we pray that we may all come to the recognition and the praise of Thomas, who said, my Lord and my God. God, grant that. We pray that this Easter day may be a day of rejoicing, blessing, and community with each other as we celebrate the good news of the rising of Jesus from the dead, we ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we are going to sing a song that many of us know.